All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're going to read from two places there in Ephesians, right in the beginning of Ephesians in just a moment, and then chapter 4 as well. We are doing a little connected little mini-series here on our way to a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. So I'm very excited about us spending some time over the next year probably in the book of 1 Corinthians. But on our way there, you know, if you had a map in your head, you'd start in Jerusalem, you'd go kind of around the Mediterranean Sea, you'd follow the expansion of the gospel up into Greece, back down into Greece, and you'd land in a little town called Corinth. And we know those folks because we've read quite a bit about them. As a matter of fact, you probably know the Corinthians better than you know anybody else in the Bible. Because there's a lot about their lives on display there. And we're going to hang out with those Corinthians. And we're going to learn some things about being the people of God together. And so we're going to start that in a couple of weeks. Uh, But there's a reason why we learn about the Corinthians. And that gets passed on for generations. There's a reason why... When you and I come to know God, the only people that had a historic reference point aren't just the people who lived in Jerusalem. Maybe that doesn't strike you as funny because you've just gotten used to reading the Bible. But there's a reason why the Corinthians were affected by the gospel and by the presence of God and by the spirit of God. And quite honestly, it's the same reason why people in New Orleans... You and me have experienced the nearness of God and the truths of God and the gospel. So something happened in the beginning. And what I want to talk today is we've been talking about this little series called Easter Continued. So, you know, we just don't live in this idea that there's this big event, this resurrection thing. And it's back then, celebrated from years ago. It, it's continued. It, it goes on. As a matter of fact, Easter inaugurated something. It, it began Something that has traveled around the Mediterranean to Corinth, but it's traveled all the way here to New Orleans as well. And and last week we looked at this verse. Ronald led us into this verse in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. says, Then he opened their minds. Post-resurrection, Jesus visits with his disciples, and it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written... That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, and, you're underlining, underline that word. And, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So, So the reason why... Corinth has a story and their lives are going to be revolutionized and they're going to be rescued from a lot of bad ideas that were available for them to live their life with. And that's true of us as well. Is because this verse was part of God's strategy. And this verse leaps out at me because it's not as though when Jesus met his disciples and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, all he talked about was I am the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament and everything that's gone before me has proclaimed. And he explained that to them. But this scripture says, and he revealed that 
part of this purpose was the proclamation of forgiveness and repentance throughout the world, beginning with Jerusalem. So this, this is a life-shaping matter, and, and, and it's a strategy. God had a strategy, right? He didn't just do something in Jerusalem, die and get resurrected, and then just got no plan after that. He had a plan after that. He had a strategy, and that strategy had parts and pieces, and people needed to know what the strategy was. Now, and listen, I, I get that, that not everybody in this room has equal knowledge of all things that have strategies involved with them, right? Uh, I'm going to be a little bit uh, sexist in, in a couple of these comments, so it's just, I was born in 1964, it's just how it is. Um, I would perhaps venture to say that there would be some ladies here that if we sat down to watch a football game together, there'd be a lot of the strategy that you just wouldn't get. Right? I mean, you go along, it's nice of you to sit down and be in the same room with your husband while he's watching or your kids while they're watching the game. But, you know, you're, you're just not quite sure why they're punting. Right? And how many downs do you get? And how far do you have to go? And, and now some of you are like, oh, I get that, I get that. But then when the conversation breaks out about, you know, when is it a good moment to call a draw play? Or maybe a screen pass? And how do you do the two-minute drill? And when should they have blitzed? Right, you're having to check out in that moment, right? I mean, it's, I can't participate in that conversation. I don't get the strategy. All right, and on the other side... Right? In, in my house, I don't get food strategy. I love to eat, but I don't get food strategy. Uh, if my wife ever went away, my kids would just be eating pancakes and a couple of grilled items and a lot of cereal. Um, that, that would be what they'd be surviving on for the rest of their days. Uh, because I don't, I don't get, my wife gets the science of food, of if you put this ingredient next to that ingredient, it creates this particular flavor and experience. And if you heat it and cook it this way versus doing it that way, it produces something totally different. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get that. I just, I just get at the end, it's like, wow, that's, that's, that tastes really good. <laughs> but I don't get the strategy. And, and I get that there's a lot of things in our, in our lives, with all different variety of us that are here, that, that we're not strategy specialists in a lot of categories. But, but can I just tell us that what is being described here in the Bible about the strategy of God to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth is, is not a football or foodie subject. You and I cannot be in this setting listening to God's strategy and sort of relating it to, yeah, I don't, I don't get third and fourth down either. Uh, this, is, this is supposed to be Something every Christian gets. As a matter of fact, more than getting it and being able to explain it, this is supposed to lend itself to defining our existence. You and I as followers of Christ exist to fulfill this strategy upon the earth. Now, if you go to heaven, there's no evangelizing in heaven. There's no spreading the gospel. Everybody there knows the gospel clearly. And they see face to face the God of glory. But while we're here, 
traveling through the days of our lives, every day, every person, young and old, answers to this strategy that God has put in place. Everything about the fallen world, from the moment Genesis starts and there's a fall, God had put in place redemption to rescue us from that fall. But that wasn't the end of it, right? They, they don't get to be in Jerusalem, people saying, hey, you can, you can know God through the atonement. Isn't it great that you get to know and experience God, disciples? Oh, we've known Jesus, and now he's given us the Holy Spirit, and we get to know him even more in an even greater, more intimate way. And they just hang out in Jerusalem for the rest of their lives, living their days. That's not the story, is it? Matter of fact, if that was the story, you and I wouldn't have a story this morning. And the people in Corinth that we read about, that you're going to get a flavor for, there's, there's some really messed up stuff going on, which was true in our lives when the gospel came to us, wasn't it? None of us have a changed story unless this strategy gets fulfilled. I mean, just a little observation from doing life a couple of weeks ago you guys might remember us announcing this there were we had a there was a funeral service for uh, miss meredith herndon who had been just part of our church for many many years and she moved to the north shore in the last several years of her life you know i sat in that service uh, just affected by Meredith's story, just one person after another talking about the quality, the broadcasting of God from her life. And, you know, I have particular jealousy for her story because, you know, uh, Meredith taught my wife, Gina, in Sunday school when Gina was this big. Right, and later on, when they were to be in the same church together, and oh, by the way, my husband's the pastor, Meredith, nice to meet you again. But in missionettes, I think it was, or, or Sunday school, Meredith was part of the strategy of God, proclaiming the gospel through her life. Of course, I had a, I had a real emotional moment during the service just thinking about, you know, I wasn't just thinking about Meredith, I was thinking about all the Merediths that are in this room that are part, have been part of our lives. Uh, Meredith was a little over 20 years separated from me, so she was, a, she was a generation before me. But there's something to be said about that, that generation that, that lived their lives shaped by this strategy in so many ways. And you travel around and you interact with churches who are living in the benefit that somebody in that generation believed the gospel and lived it in such a way that they sowed things and prepared things for us. Right, so that's two weeks ago. Last week, I'm reading an article by Tom Rayner in Facts and Trends, and he says this, boomers, he's speaking of baby boomers, that generation, have left an indelible mark on today's society. Now, this generation is beginning to retire, and that has major implications for churches. The boomers have more pastors represented in their generation than any other Today, half of American pastors are older than 55. 
1992, less than a quarter of the pastors in the U.S. were that age. Meanwhile, pastors 40 and younger have fallen from 33% in 1992 to 15% today. In the next 5 to 10 years, a wave of boomer retirements will leave behind more pastoral vacancies than there are qualified candidates. In other words, there's about to be a difficulty in the strategy. Now, if if God's strategy doesn't matter, if there's other ways to do this gospel fulfillment thing, then, then we don't need to be worried about any of that. But when we read from this passage today, there's a strategy of God. They didn't just start in Jerusalem with no instructions and no idea. You got saved. Isn't it great? You're delighted. Isn't it great? No, there was a strategy for the disciples. And by the way, if you and I are disciples, if we are disciples, then we are disciples who make disciples. Because if we don't make disciples, there's a giant question mark over us as to whether we really are disciples. Because part of the description of being a disciple was to be a disciple maker. So this is a strategy from God. And and it's got particulars to it. And so it's great that we get to sit and review our church's activity. But our church's activity is basically just trying to do what we're about to read about. We're just trying to do what we see here as the strategy of God. So Ephesians chapter 4. This Easter continued. Look in chapter 4 verse 7. says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All right, so Easter gets continued. And by the way, this, this, is, this letter to the Ephesians, it, it, it's written not to seminary students, not to specialist, special Christians. It's written, when you go back and read the first verse, to the saints at Ephesus. It's kind of like you dudes hanging out in Lakeview. That's kind of who it's written to. So hey, fellow Christian, something happened in God's plan that when he was resurrected and Easter continued, he, he ascended to the Father. So he resurrected from the grave and then he spent some time explaining the scriptures and being amongst people. And then he ascended and that ascension was a, was a trigger mechanism. In the strategy of God, when Jesus ascended on high, it says he gave gifts to men and he said he related these gifts to grace that we were going to receive. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right, think broadly in terms of grace in your life. How many of us recognize, I, I, I just need grace in my life. Right, what, what is grace? It's, it's, the, it's the hand of favor of God operating on my life in all kinds of ways. It's, it's God's influence. It's God building faith. It's God bringing things into my life that shape me and, and change my course. I'm headed towards destruction. And God 
mysteriously gets me to change my mind about that. I'm approaching something that's going to have a powerful impact on my life. And God somehow brings wisdom into that so that it's a blessing to me and not a curse. There's all kinds of ways that grace comes into our lives. And so I think we'd all be quick to just recognize, I want and I need grace in my life. All right, so you don't have to raise your hand on this, but are you, are you here this morning because you recognize you need grace from God? God, I need your help. I need you to intervene. I need you to touch my life. I need you to change me, move me, motivate me, affect me, give me faith, right? I need this. Now, in this passage, faith, grace comes to us not by sheer mystery, but by mechanism. There's a strategy here. Again, the Bible just doesn't say, hey, we all just receive grace and then it stops. It just, it's done talking about this. And, and hey, somehow mysteriously just become, you, you'll bump into it somehow in your life. You're going to bump into grace somehow. No, there's a mechanism here. There's a strategy here. When he ascended, he gave gifts to men so that they might be transfers, imparters of God's grace into our lives. So this is part of God's strategy. Keep reading. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, here's the gifts. He gave gifts. Here they are. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. But he gave them with a strategy. There's a reason. These gifts exist in our world and in our lives to accomplish something. They exist to, quote, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I'll jump into the rest of that passage in a moment. Right. Follow God's mechanism here and, and don't be so vague. Right. This, again, this, this can't be a football and foodies thing for you. Because all of us agree we need grace in our lives. We all agree about that. How's it going to find you? How's it going to touch your life? How's it going to show up on the doorstep of whatever's going on in your world? Well, God's got a mechanism here in place. And, and there's, there's this first group and then there's a transfer. See that in your outline there. And then there's, a, there's another group and there's another transfer, if you will. So, so God's grace, it is mysterious. But it has a mechanism, a strategy in place. And so leaders exist in our lives because God designed the church to be that. So God's strategy for the church to get from Jerusalem all the way to Corinth, and then all the way to New Orleans was churches. They planted local churches who fulfilled this strategy. And these leaders set in place by God, they were to equip the saints. 
So somehow churches have got to figure out ways to do this. And that, that's kind of what we review when we have our business. We've got to figure out a way. How do, we, how do we take the gifts God has given when he ascended and use them to transfer something? Transfer things of truth, of doctrine, of care, of support, encouragement, of faith into each other's lives. So leaders have a responsibility to transfer that into the lives of the church. And then look what the church does. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, who does that second transfer, right? First transfer is leaders into the church. The second transfer is the church into one another's lives. So there's a strategy here. How, how do people get affected? How does the gospel get proclaimed? How does care get given? How do relationships that encourage us and protect us and build us How does that happen? How does a church become full of people who are healthy spiritually, who love God dearly, who live for God's purpose? Well, there's a strategy. It doesn't just happen. There's a strategy. When the ascended Christ ascended, he gave gifts. And those gifts were to bring an influence into the church, to equip the church. And then the church was to do the work of ministry in one another's lives and into the world. So that... The result is the body of Christ is built up. And then then we get this rich description of, look look what's going to happen when that mechanism is working. When it's well-oiled and it's happening well. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Listen, Listen to what's in this verse. This is what healthy local churches look like. Attaining the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, mature manhood, growing, not staying the same in the same place. Yeah, I still quote the same five verses that I quoted when I got saved in the first year and I learned some things. And I'm 20 years old now and when you ask me a question, I I still answer it from those Bible studies that I went to in my first year of being saved. And that's the only thing I've learned. That's an insult, by the way. That was not encouraging. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not supposed to be immature. We're supposed to be growing. Experiencing God. Seeing him more deeply. Being affected. Verse 14. So that we're no longer to be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves. And carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. So when this mechanism is working, this strategy of God is working, it protects us as well. It helps us grow, but it protects us. There, there is rampant, crazy ideas out there. When we started this year, the Enchanted series was an intention to make us protected from the ideas that are infiltrating the world that we live in. And, and, and that's a means of grace coming into our lives because I'm going to buy into somebody's ideas and I'm going to pick them up on Monday morning and I'm going to live my life based on them. And I'm going to treat my wife a certain way. I'm going to treat people a certain way. And I'm going to live for certain goals. Well, this says the mechanism is what, when it's operating correctly, it protects us from these cunning ideas that we come in contact on a regular basis. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by, listen, 
every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly. That's what makes a body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right, so here's what I wanted to do this morning for us. There's a lot of mystery with God, isn't there? God does things. I mean, this is not an exhaustive book about God. It's what we needed to know. But God says, you know, there, Jesus did many more things than these, even with his disciples that are not written down here. The Old Testament reveals that there are, there are secret things that belong to God. That basically, hey, they're above your pay grade, but just trust me, I got this. Right, so this isn't everything that we need to know, but God has revealed some things. And the fact that God, I, I'm always enamored by this. You'll probably hear me say this a lot in messages. I'm always enamored by what the Bible chooses to say and what it chooses not to say. Because there's, there's all this information in the mind and heart of God. And God says, uh, I'm not going to write all of it down. Let's see. Let's write that and that and that and that. Well, yeah, that, that, that. And so what you have here is not some accidental compilation of stuff. You've got stuff that matters and stuff that we're not ready to hear. We wouldn't understand. You don't need that right now. But this we need. We need to know this strategy. It is a means of grace finding its way into our lives. It's a means that it travels through one another into one another's lives. So my encouragement here today and in doing the meeting that we're doing um, is, is don't lose sight you, you can't treat these strategies in the Bible like, hey, I'm, I'm sure somebody in the church knows about that stuff. You know, me, I'm just not all into food and stuff. I just like to eat. I like to come to the services, you know. I like, you know, sort of covenant group stuff can be kind of cool. I, you know, I, I like that, but I don't get that whole thing, you know. I don't know how to cook, you know. Uh, that's fine for cooking. That's not fine for being a Christian, Because if you don't own the strategy, you fill it in with bad, weird ideas. Like somehow, you know, what's mystery? It's getting taken care of somehow. I don't know how the thing works really, but somebody will do it. Somehow it'll just happen. Somehow the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Corinth all the way to New Orleans. I I can't explain all that, Keith. I don't even like to read very much. Good night, man. Um... That can't be you. That simply can't be. Stop letting that be you. You, You've got to, I've got to appreciate the strategy of God. He had a means of accomplishing what he's accomplished. And that means it's still alive. And it's in settings like this. And our hope is to live in a way that reflects these principles. So in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to jump into nuts and bolts and details, etc. Of, of things. And, you know, paying for this, buying that, building this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's just hold this in mind because I know it's tempting to ask questions not in light of Ephesians chapter 4 or uh, Luke chapter 24 or Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Listen, all this stuff exists to answer to this. Whatever it is that we're doing as a church, it's, it's to accomplish this.
and proclaim the gospel through our lives to this world. Let's pray together. Father, we sit here today and boy, are we so grateful that your disciples who walked on that road with you and you opened the scriptures to them, they, they got something. Something went off in their hearts. They weren't just to enjoy their name being written in the book of life and find a nice, comfortable place in Jerusalem and set up shop and live there. But they put their lives on the line to take the gospel and to advance it from place to place. Lord, we're, we're part of their story. And they are part of ours now. And we are a part of somebody else's story. Others that are here and others that are yet to be here. Others in parts of the world that we have the opportunity to connect with. And so, Lord, would you awaken in our hearts your wise strategy And would every day of our own personal individual lives be filled with some kind of a thought from Ephesians 4 here that every part working properly, every part working properly. Lord, what part do I play in that? How have you called me to play a part in that? And I want to fulfill that purpose so your strategy is accomplished for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.